coming up on Man Enough. A lot of my dad and I's relationship is very unspoken a lot of time, and it's something that I really appreciate. I appreciate having someone that I can just be quiet in a room with and not feel like I need to talk. I was working all the time, uh, and I never gave them time. Mm. And I think that's the most important thing you can give to a kid. Mm. Time, quality time. And I, that's one of the things that I regret. When I think about, like, my role as, you know, Sekou's dad, as much as I'm able to provide him with, you know, all the opportunities, the greatest joy is in doing his laundry and folding his little clothes. Being man enough, what does that mean? It's really manly to mess up, admit you're wrong, and then grow. I couldn't accept that I was evil. So maybe I'm broken, but those broken things could be corrected. Intimacy between a father and a son is me just wanting to like put my head in your lap. I love you, son. You haven't called me a benevolent sexist, but my experience is women are better. Even if it's a positive, it's still not equality. I don't blame men for that. I just blame the system. This is Man Enough. Hello, Jamie. What's up, Liz? Oh my goodness, it's good to see your face. I miss you so much. I miss you too. It feels like it's been 20 years. <laughs> oh my gosh. And what's really sweet is um, we're honoring fathers. I- I'm are. a father. You're not just any father. You're really, really good father. Oh my gosh, I have four kids and I'm almost old enough to be your father. <laughs> <laughs> no, Absolutely not. You are also a grandpa. This is your first Father's Day that you're a grandfather? Is that oh my pa- is gosh, that right? I'm a grandpa. Yeah, my oldest daughter just had a baby. So um, five months ago, I'm a grandpa. I'm pop, 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 pop. Uh, well, really, we've been reflecting back on so many of our incredible guests and their shares and reflections on fatherhood and uh, looking back at our daddy issues episode, which was all about fathers where you call Jasmine and you really try and cry for like a single thing that you did wrong. Uh, and she can't even find a single thing. And oh my God, that was her being nice. And it just honestly made me remember just how much of a great dad you are. Um, and how lucky we are to have you as our co-host um, and sort of shepherding this show. And um, how many men must be out there being like, I feel like Jamie is my dad. <laughs> wow. Well, you know what, Liz? Um, I, I know that we want to get into our episode, but I do think Thank it's you. worth saying that while we are honoring and, and should be honoring fathers for the amazing work that we do with our children um, and sometimes can even do better. But I do think it's worth recognizing that it's so interesting that something that should just be first nature for us to just take Mm -hmm. care of our kids and be good dads as mothers Mm -hmm. are doing all the time. And certainly mothers can be better at different times. But the fact that we have a day that honors me as a father, it feels a little weird at the same time, because it's like, this is just what should be my second nature, first nature Mm -hmm. that I just take care of kids and I show up in my best self. Um, But yet we want to acknowledge us. So it's like this Mm -hmm. dual thing. Acknowledge me but don't acknowledge. Wow. I think it offers a time of reflection, um, right. About how fathers and fatherhood, what kind of role it plays in our lives, but also how it could be better or how men can support each other to be better fathers and create more community around that. Um, Mm -hmm. and so I'm excited to dive in with you. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. I'm excited. I just want, I wish I was there with you. Me too. Come back. Why are we trade? How? Why are we traded coasts? This makes no sense. I'm in your coast. You're in my coast. 
I know all the time. And now you're living in my coast. And when I come I back, know. I'm gonna give you fatherly love. I would love that. You've you've promised me Disneyland a few times. I'm gonna put that on the record. Um, and I would love, as Jasmine said, for you to follow through on that. Okay. Oh wow, <laughs> you remembered that. Can't wait. So Liz, let's jump in. We're gonna get into um, honoring fathers and some of the people that have been on our podcast before. So I'm excited. Me too. Let's go. Today, I am joined by my dad, Sam Baldoni. <laughs> Are you nervous? I'm a little nervous. <laughs> it's not every day I'm, you know, at a microphone with 500 cameras on me. It was like almost impossible for me to think about my journey and this podcast and the book and reaching men and all the things I want to do without sitting down and talking to my dad. Because as we know, those of us who are privileged enough to have dads tend to learn masculinity from their dads who learn it from their, their dads. dads and who learn it from their dads and of course coupled with socialization and all of the things we know thank you for being willing to talk about it well i'm really happy to be here and i'm happy you're on this journey because your journey has helped me be more open and it's freed me in a way of a lot of the baggage I've carried all mm. my life. Being able to talk openly about issues and about problems and about being able to, you know, be honest about things. When before I've, you know, as you know, I kept everything inside and, and it wasn't good. Yeah. Mm. So one of the things I'm learning as a parent is just how important it's going to be for me one day to acknowledge that I contributed to messing up my kids. That I did things unknowingly or knowingly, consciously or unconsciously, that contributed to like their suffering. So and they're gonna grow up one day and Maxwell and Maya might say to me like, dad, you really messed me up. And I think every part of us as parents wants to remind them like all the good things that we did. And you and I had private conversations where I was really angry and I would tell you things. And at first you were very much, you were like defensive about it because I think it hurt you so much. Despite all of that stuff, you're an amazing dad. And I'm so grateful for you. <laughs> I just need you to hear that. Because nothing is... I don't believe anything is black and white. Just because I have resentment or I have this or I have that doesn't mean it's all bad. But to have the space to process my versions of trauma and to process like what I've been experiencing as a kid and what I experienced as an adult is such a gift that you've given me. And I hope you will give other people and other men by allowing me to do that. So thank you. Now. <laughs> I love you, son. I love you, daddy. There is something that almost prevents it, like this intimacy, at least between you and me. And I don't know. I can't speak for other men and their fathers or boys and their dads. But, but there was something that prevented me from being fully open and sharing with you. Right? And... I have to believe that part of that was because you didn't share with me. 
And I feel like that's a two way street and mm. you're the dad. Yeah. So like if my dad doesn't have any problems, if my dad is perfect, if my dad is a superhero, if my dad handles everything and everything is good and doesn't, and he's never suffering and like, he doesn't have any like idiosyncrasies that, you know, make yeah. him a flawed human, then, then there's no safe space for me to be that. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that what's happened for me, and this is also therapy is I've like kind of been forced to become perfect. So when it's, when I'm around family, I am like impenetrable and a wall and perfect because I need to be that. Cause that's what you were. That's what you were. I've like become you in so many ways yeah. when in reality and what breaks my heart for so many men in America is that there's an entire relationship that we are not getting a chance to have with our dads. That it's not until they die, you die, that we realize how much we didn't share with each other, how much we didn't really know about our dads, how much we wish we could have gotten closer. And I mean, and that's for those of us who actually like our dads. You've always been there so much. And yet there's an intimacy that's lacking that I can't be the only one that feels it's like, and I talk about masculinity and the perfect example for me of like, if I were going to describe this mythical thing of masculinity, it would be the invisible barrier that I feel with you. That makes it hard for us to just sit and look at each other's eyes. That makes it hard for us to like hold each other or like for me to like put my head on your lap. Like I used to when I was a little boy, what is that thing? When does it start? When was it created? Who created it? What is the thing that makes it so hard for you to share your weaknesses with your boy growing up? I I think that we just push things back because we don't know how to approach certain things. And I think that today and what you're going through and, and, and the therapy that we've all been going through has been helping us give us tools to, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can say that. Oh, I can, if I just listen more, I'll be much better off and not, you know, jump in and try to defend myself. Absorb things. But these are tools that you can learn um, that I never had access to. And during my growing up, if you saw a, you know, a a counselor or or a a psychologist, you were crazy. You know, people didn't go to therapy. So there's a stigma around therapy. There was a stigma around therapy. There was therapy. something broken or wrong with you if you went to therapy. Something seriously wrong with you. If you so is that, why, is that why you never went? I never even thought about it because I always thought that I was fine. Because I didn't realize that all these things were going on in my life that I was hiding or avoiding or whatever because there was, no, there was nothing to, to, to guide me there. But and thinking back, when you were talking earlier, I was thinking about the things that I didn't talk to my dad about right. and the things I wished I would have talked to him about to get to, to know him better and to, you know, and I always thought that it was because my dad was much older. What did you guys never talk about? What did you wish you talked about with him? I wish we had talked about sex. sex. That would have been pretty cool. So in the book, I talk about a conversation that you and I had. I said, hey. Did Grandpa Louie ever tell you that he loved you? And you said? No, I can't remember him ever really saying, I love you. 
And that was heartbreaking to me. Yeah. And he told Nana, your mom, that he was proud of you, but he never told you that he was proud of you. No, I never heard that. And it was interesting to hear that he told Nana that that uh, he was very proud of me. He knew that one day I'd be very successful and he wouldn't see that day, but she would. It's interesting how much we take our wounds and then we kind of heal ourselves as yeah. we're raising our children, right? Yeah. Because I'm doing a very similar thing with Maxwell and that I'm, I'm like reminding him of all the things that maybe I didn't get reminded of, right? It's like we, and that's how every generation gets better. But I really appreciate you sharing that with me, Daddy. I wish I could have met Grandpa. I wish you could have too. Um, he was a good man. I'm sorry, he never told you I love you. Yeah. I know he did though. I know he did. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. We got a guest host with us. Christopher's hanging out with us. Chris Rivas. <laughs> There's all these traumas happening throughout the world, conversations. And um, we know Joy DeGruy, actually, Dr. Joy DeGruy shares this a lot about trauma and how it works. It's obvious if something happens to a person, if, you're get, if you get shot, you have trauma. If I'm the one who shot you, I have trauma. Right? And oftentimes, if you got shot and were scared, you're going to talk to someone about it and work through it. I'm the one who shot you, there's consequences, I talk through it, I'm forced to have conversations, okay? But we're not the only ones, what about the people that witnessed it, right? So now, someone witnesses it, was not hurt themselves, but now they have trauma. But most of the time, the people that witness don't have a conversation about it, they don't go to therapy about it. They just bottle it up, they don't think they were affected. They then treat their children differently, oh like, be careful, don't go outside, you might get shot, whatever. So now that their children have trauma, or, or, uh, mm. are affected by the fact that I witnessed something. Thanks. So my child is raised differently because of what I witnessed. Yeah. So unless everybody is engaged in conversation all the time. And you just and made me think of my pops. So like, is that right? Mm. Oh my gosh, are you kidding me? I, I've never heard of this. I know trauma from, like, Body Keeps the Score, he says it's a thing you can't, you can't leave. It stays in you, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you have to be able to leave the experience. And so thinking about not the... The person who did the action, the person who received the action, but the witness, mm-hmm. and then how that's handed down to the child. Mm-hmm. Like for so long, my father has carried so much Latino machismo negativity. You know, don't tell anyone your good news. Don't do right. Believing in so much of this old school mentality that I had to fight for so 
long to say you're wrong. Like you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. But now hearing this, I'm like, oh no, hmm. you're just a witness of horrible things and you never got to talk about it with anyone. Mm-hmm. It's, wild. We, it's so wild and we're doing that all the time. Giacomo Gianotti mm-hmm. is coming on. Yeah. Um, first generation Italian, mm-hmm. uh, son to an immigrant. Uh, we have not similar stories, but um, adjacent stories, and mm-hmm. um, and uh, just a really sweet guy. So my parents were separated almost immediately. I've only known them apart, and my mother wanted to return to Canada to to raise me, uh, where she was from. And so my father followed um, to this place that he didn't know anybody or speak the language because he wanted to be present in my life because my father did not have a father. His father walked out on, on the family. So that was a trauma that he did not want to, you know, bring forward and pass on to me. So he says, I, you know, I don't got any money. I don't know, speak the language in this place. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do, but I'll be damned if my son does not have a dad. Mm. He lived in Toronto. My, my, my mother lived in this small place called Perry Sound. And on the weekends, every couple of weekends sometimes, I, I would see him. So I didn't spend a lot of time with my father. I didn't get to see him a lot growing up. And I think because we didn't see each other a lot, when we spent time together, he always had to make it very special. We had to go to like mm-hmm. a theme park. We had to go go-karting. We had to go mm-hmm. big production. You know, he'd like blow all the money that he saved up <laughs> as a waiter to, to, to do that. And although it was certainly fun, because as a young boy doing those things is fun, I think in retrospect, to answer your question, what I really just wanted was just time. Mm. Like I just wanted to sit on a bench with my dad and just talk. Have you talked to him about that? Yeah, I have. How did I those have. conversations go? They were tough, you know? <clears throat> I mean, I when I was younger, I think there was so much judgment and I had such a, a really hard time with my father. You know, the relationship that I have with my father now is not the relationship I had mm. when when I was much younger. It was a lot of going against each other, a lot of, you know, mm. uh, alpha, alpha in one home. And, you know, because when I was 16, I moved to Toronto to be with him. And he basically just got this fully realized 16-year-old dropped off on his doorstep, never really had to be full-time dad. And it was way too much for him. And I, I didn't know how to be a son to him. It was like a two-way mm-hmm. kind of a thing. But I think when I was when I was younger, I had so much judgment towards my my father. But now that I'm an adult and I'm married and I'm looking to start a family on my own, I go, shit. Hmm. I mean, if I had his cards at 25, what the hell would I have done? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I would have navigated that better. I don't know if I would have had all this amazing insight that I now have as an adult. You know what I mean? It's yeah. easy to sit back and say, oh, why didn't you do it better? But it's like, why don't you go step in his shoes yeah. at that time, you know, and see how you did. Shaka Senghor. What a, what a, what a powerhouse. Mm. I'm going to share a quick story about Shaka before we start, just to, sh- to paint a picture of the man that he is. Um, uh, we have a friend who listened to that episode of the podcast. And um, her baby's father is in prison for life for murder. Um, and she told me that uh, she she reached out to Shaka um, 
for some advice mm -hmm. for her daughter. Mm -hmm. And um, Shaka offered to go sit down with them and to meet her daughter and hold space so she could ask Shaka any question that she had about being in prison and maybe why her dad wasn't um, returning uh, letters and things like that and what it's like. And he gave his time and just sat there and just loved on this little girl who's who never has really gotten to know her father mm -hmm. and just painted a picture of what that's like in there and masculinity. And uh, she just was raving about him. And it was just so sweet to hear something, you know, not from a book, not from a movie, not from a publicist, but like a real life experience from a friend mm. of how he has impacted and what his impact is. I wasn't a black man, I was a black boy. Yeah. And that's something that we don't mm. create space for black boys to be kids. Yeah. And so I was a kid trying to navigate the complexities of a high level trauma. Mm -hmm. And I remember writing in my memoir, when I was no longer allowed to cry tears, I cried bullets. And that is true for so many young men who are forced to repress their emotional frailties. Like I couldn't go and stand amongst my friend and be like, I'm actually scared to stand on the corner again because I got shot. Mm -hmm. Because I would have been ridiculed or I would have been told I was soft or whatever the things were. And I don't think that my parents at the time had the emotional sophistication to even understand that level of trauma because I was the third of their children who had been shot at that point. And it was shocking and, and at one point was a point of contention with my dad and I because my dad worked in mental health. And I think like many people who are navigating working for a living, uh, sometime when they come home, they want to take their hat off. Right. And you know, the other thing is that I learned about my dad who's been just a great bearer of gifts when it comes to his truth and, and his frailties and the, his missteps is that later on he was able to acknowledge those areas of life where he was so consumed of trying to raise, you know, multiple children um, that, you know, he missed a mark on some things. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure I didn't make it easy, you know, that complexity of a father navigating his son sitting in the hospital and then eventually navigating his son being in prison. So I'm wondering, as a father, you know, how um, how do you see your relationship with your son being affected? You know, I have two sons with very different experiences. You know, my oldest son, Jay, is 29 years old, and my youngest son, Sekou, is nine years old. Jay was born three months after I was arrested. Mm. And our relationship was really shaped by prison visits, which were over 19 years, I may have seen my son 10 times, um, and shaped by phone calls and letters. And what happened for me was that I created a narrative about what our relationship was. I thought that these snippets of life, these letters, which I could read for months and just hold on to, was a real parenting relationship. And when I got out of prison, I realized that couldn't have been further from the truth. Mm. You know, I came home and I treated my son as if he was a mentee who I was trying to help avoid all the pitfalls that I had taken. And that if I did my job, I can inspire him to navigate 
a dream that I had for myself, which was him working with my company and us riding off to the sunset oh, for our son. And had never stopped to ask what his dream was. Wow. Or what his relationship to me, what was his relationship desires to me. And so our relationship has been very complex. It's been very contentious at times. It's been very distant at times. And then there's the other side where I now have this amazing opportunity to raise a son whose life I've been in from the beginning. Mm. And I get to pour into him daily and I get to affirm him daily. And I get to create space for him to just be the magical little human being that he is and to detach my ego from any outcome that his life will have. And as you can imagine, that creates a very complex emotional reality for me as a dad. Yeah. Um, I oftentimes don't feel adequate or that I failed my oldest son. Mm. Um, you know, I have an incredible life. I have great life experiences at this point in my life. And to not be able to share them with, you know, my oldest son because of the complexity of our relationships, you know, that's something I navigate every day. You know, for every hug that I give my youngest son, say, cool, you know, I think about the hugs that my oldest son, Jay, has been deprived of. Mm. Um, you know, my dad is, is my complex hero um, in so many ways because, you know, to the point of what you asked about the question, how does this impact family? You know, when I was writing the new book, which is a series of letters to my sons, I went back and I began to read the letters that my dad wrote me in prison. And he gave up a lot of his life to step into the gap and to be the father that I couldn't be. And so there's this complex reality of like my dad bringing my son to see me in prison mm. and what that must have meant for him. Um, and he gave me the gift of those words and those experiences through letters. Um, and it's why I chose to write the book in that fashion, because the gift of my father's letters um, was life-saving. You know, we were able to debate um, we argued, we healed, you know, we apologized. My father carried the weight of my incarceration as if he was responsible. Mm. Um, and to help him reconcile that, mm. you know, there were times when I had to be his mentor. You know, I had to be his source of support and strength when he was navigating complex things on the outside. Um, but rereading his letters while I was writing the book, um, it led me to interview my dad mm. and to ask him all these questions about, you know, what that was. And like now, you know, as a father of a 19-year-old, precocious, creative, beautiful black boy, um, I now understand how devastating my incarceration was to my dad. Mm. And it's something that we don't talk about a, a lot. Um, you know, when it comes to fathers, you know, I come from a family where the fathers are just um, such lovely men, like caring, nurturers. You know, I can go to, 
You know, my uncle's house, they fix food as a part of care. You know, I'm a grown, able-bodied man, but it's nothing to have them come and bring me a plate. Um, you know, the way that they take care of family has never been rooted in just being financial providers. They're like caretakers. Like my dad, you know, I've watched him, you know, do my sister's hair and cook and do laundry. And when I think about like my role as, you know, Sekou's dad, as much as I'm able to provide him with, you know, all the opportunities, the greatest joy is in doing his laundry and folding his little clothes. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. Shaka's entire time with us mm-hmm. was and it remains so meaningful to me. And I think about the things that he told us and um, we really, he has a way of speaking where you're like, you're, you're basking in his words and in his presence, yeah. just that he stopped crying tears and started crying bullets, right? This like idea that I think is very potent for a lot of boys, um, particularly black boys who don't get to be boys, right? Um, and parentified uh, children who, yeah, end up finding other ways of expressing um, the deepness of their being, you know, and the wounds that they experience. So much of being a dad is um, making sacrifices, and that's really what we'll see uh, in the next clips. We got Andy Grammer here sitting in for Justin Baldoni. When my daughter was, my first daughter was born, and I encourage all dads to do this, it's such good research. Find women in your life. I found 10 women in my life that I like really respected and thought were incredible women. And I wrote them an email and said, I'm putting you all in this chain. Can you please respond with three things your dad did awesome and three things he could have done better so I can have some, because I, I, I grew up with brother. I don't have a lot of like relationship with younger girls, especially raising them. And, uh, and I got a lot of really good feedback back. And that began for me a thirst and a desire to like everyone, every woman in the studio we've asked this question to, and it's really fascinating. Um, so can you tell me? Well, we wait, start? I want to know what you learned. Like, what did okay. you learn when doing that before we do it? So I got back the most, the highest one of the 10 that like was uniform was um, that my dad didn't treat me different. It didn't feel like I was being treated like a girl. Right. That uh, I, that he was open to what I was exposed to was what a person should be exposed to as opposed to what a girl should be exposed to. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it's so good to hear that because I just like didn't, wouldn't have expected that that would be the first one. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, another one that I'm very interested in, in talking to you about is I'm another uniform response was he and it went in the bad category was he was too strict and mm. it made me feel like he didn't trust me, mm. which threw me for a loop because it was so almost every one of them said it. But this was all in a group of women that I super respected. Wow. So that was like interesting to me. I didn't wow. know how to handle that part of the data. What, because you're saying they were so un, such incredible women. These are unbelievable women that I that if I had to choose who are my favorite women in my life, I'd pick these women. These 10 women. And in the bad category from them came, my dad was too strict, made me feel like he didn't trust me. Mm-hmm. But then I was wondering like, oh, is that actually something yeah. that has helped create all this incredibleness? Right. What would you say? I mean, that? like my dad was extremely, uh, it was impossible to, oh, it felt impossible to please him and to be um, good enough in terms of like, uh, you know, at school and just in anything that I really did. I, like his standards were very high and he was very 
um, emphasized discipline and work ethic so much. And that is my strongest, like my work ethic, but to a T and to a problem at sure. certain points. But 100%, like that's why <laughs> that's my daddy issue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I there's so much I, I want, like there's so much I, I'm angry that I didn't get from my dad. And there's so much that I wish he had done differently. And one of those things is like, the what, what did you call it Dis- authority or discipline yes yeah, strict. Uh, strict right i i wish he had been kinder um and more encouraging at the same time more present i think that a lot of fathers my father w- was one of them like he had so much pressure on his shoulders like he he was carrying the weight of the family and all of us and he like took care of my mom and oh my god, I'm gonna like I'm really gonna ball. <laughs> no, like I'm like trying to keep it together, and this is how like it, he really took care of my mom, and he took care of us, and I I didn't appreciate how hard that was for him, and how much of that caretaking of us or caregiving of us meant taking away from himself. Mm-hmm. And what I wish now is that he could first of all share what that was like for him, because we've all in, you know, a lot of families that grew up with difficulty, you end up kind of hopefully coming together and being able to talk about it afterwards and and repair. And we've all kind of been able to do it. And my but my dad doesn't share how everything affected him. He just I think is still holding on to it Mm. um, as a way to keep it all together and keep himself together. So I wish he had taken care of himself too. And I wish he could take care of himself um, and, and give to himself in the way that he's given to all of us. Um, so that doesn't answer your question. My God, it's just it's just a it's a it's um, I feel like when my dad won't be with me, there will be so much that I haven't told him. Mm. And I don't feel that mm. way about my, my mom. Like, I feel like I, my mom and I get to talk about a lot of things. And that's my biggest fear in life is like, I won't we won't have shared and reached the potential of intimacy and connection that 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 is possible and i feel like i'm not alone no i feel like there are a lot of people who um want to connect deeply with their dads but like don't really know how to yeah. and i think that their dads also feel that way and so you just end up talking about stuff and yeah. again whatever that is for mm. you doing activities with your dad and bonding in other ways but I think that from both sides, there's, there's this deep yearning for intimacy. And I have so much intimacy with my dad. Like, my dad um, did everything for, for me. Like, everything. And my dad, like, really, I mean, my dad gave me my bath at night. My dad read me a story every night. He made my <laughs> monkey talk. Like, I was obsessed with monkeys. And, like, I when I was having a bad day, like, he would put the little monkey, like, she would pop her head in my door and, like, he did all of that. And yeah, I just, I, I there's like nothing I could say to, to, that would really, there are not enough words like in the English language for me to really express like how important my dad is to me. So anyway, three things. Yeah, that's like, uh, that'll like do. three that's things amazing. just feels like, you know, um, it's all those, everything. So I have two daughters, 32 and five. Um, and I wonder what my daughter would say if you asked her 
two or three things I did right, mm-hmm. two or three things I could have done better. In fact, <laughs> you know what I'm gonna do right now? Um, live. Oh, right now. Yes. Hello, baby girl. Are you driving? Yes. <laughs> so we are um, we are live on the Man Enough podcast right now. Say hello, Jasmine. Okay. Hey. <laughs> I have a question for you. Would you mind sharing three things that you think I did right? And let me frame it with this, because you have a sister, Day, who's five, and I want to be a good daddy to her and be better than I was with you. Tell me three things I did right and three things I could have did better. Hmm. Okay. Um, three things you did right. One of the biggest things I would say is um, you're a huge advocate for women. And you let me know that early on. You know, one of the big things you would tell me is my body is my body. I feel like I'm the woman I am today. And I have such a positive outlook on myself because of you and how much you advocated for just women in general. I saw how you treated my mom, even though you were divorced. Um, you did nothing but treat her like a queen. And I saw that, you know, I mean, I things were rough at times and I saw that too, but within each argument and within each moment of frustration, I saw you um, handle that with such love towards her, um, even if it was just for me to be able to witness that. Um, and uh, the the last thing I would, oh man, I, I would say being open. Uh, I mean, I'd never felt uncomfortable to share anything about anything with you um, because you created that space for me to be able to talk about anything I needed to, whether that was sex, whether that was my body and changes and any of the things I was able to just share those things without feeling, um, you know, like you were pointing a finger at me or like you were uncomfortable. Um, so you created that space for me. So those are the three things I would say. Um, and what you could have done better. Okay, gotta go. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, love you. No, no, no. Go, go. And just don't worry about having to justify them. Just list them and go. I, that's a hard question to answer, Daddy. What you could have done better. Um, could I have been more present? Could I have been um, um, taking you to Disneyland more? Could I have, um, (laughs) I I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, you know what? Maybe the biggest thing I would say is following through with certain things. Um, Say, saying you're going to be there or saying we're going to do something and, Hmm. um, and that not actually happening um, is one of the things I would say following through with what you say you're going to do following through with um yeah we have these conversations and you know god yeah that's that's the one thing i could maybe say right now off the top of my head i love you jasmine there thank you that was so awesome thank you thank you baby i i want to keep you on the phone and i want to talk to you now and just like just leave the podcast now and just have a conversation (laughs) with you but um i have to i have to work also and um, so finish the podcast, and I'm going to call you right after. I love you so much. Okay, love you, guys. This man I consider not just a friend, but a mentor. And I can honestly say if it were not for him and his love and his kindness and his support and his 
three decades of doing this work that I don't know if this podcast would exist, honestly. I don't know if we would all be here and um, reaching all the people we're reaching. Um, and that man is Ted Bunch. And I am so excited to meet Jalen, uh, Jalen Bunch, um, who is here as well. Right before the camera started rolling, um, I saw you put your your arm on your mm -hmm. on your child mm -hmm. and sent love, and you guys looked at each other, and that was like really sweet to just see. Um, and I'm curious, can you just tell us what that was about? What what was that connection that you were making just then? Hmm. Well, um, gratitude, love, um, pride, um, appreciation, uh, you know, being a father and modeling the best version of myself that I can to all of my children and especially... I think Jalen, because he's taught me the most, they have taught me, excuse me, his pronouns are they, them, have taught me the most about authenticity and um, vulnerability. So um, it's wonderful that I get to practice that. And so that touch, um, I've always been an affectionate father like that always, but um, the touch is important. And it was just letting him know he knows what it means. What do you What do you think that that what What did that mean to you? Excuse me. They know what it means. <laughs> Forgive me. Um, uh, I feel like a lot of my dad and I's relationship is very unspoken a lot of time, and it's something that I really appreciate. I appreciate having someone that I can just be quiet in a room with and not feel like I need to talk. Mm. And mm. um, and me and my dad are the same way as in. And I like talk to my friends about this all the time, actually, randomly. Just that we'll be in the same room together and we will, he'll give me a touch or I'll give him a look. And we both just understand what that means. And we mm. don't need to say anything. And uh, it just goes a really, really long way. I mean, like since I was a kid, he, it's always been like when I go off to school, it's always been a touch or when I'm going off to school because he knew that I'd get a little embarrassed if he yelled, mm. I love you. Mm. He'll look at me and go, I love you. Aww. And um, and he'll make me have to say it back to him and be like, I love you too. <laughs> it's just always been an unspoken thing that has uh, always allowed us to feel very understood. That, and I think that's what that means. I love that. When I came out as non-binary, my dad, the first, the one of the first texts I got was, am I still allowed to call you my son? Mm. And I said, of course you are. Like, I, I am still your son. I mm. just uh, identify otherwise. Because I, like, in my head, because my dad has always called me his son just as, like, a nickname in general. It's always been, hey, son. So I'm like, this is more of a pet name and a title rather than a gender identification for me. Mm. Yeah, it's relationship-based. Yeah. Today, we have Lil Rel Howry. Having a little girl changes i mean like everything yeah. bruh like yeah. so even with like she recently got a period and that whole saga is a different thing because <laughs> every woman i dated if it was that time of the month i just left them alone 
I left him alone. Whatever you want me to do, that's what it is. This is the first time I, underst- I understood how maybe embarrassing this is, mm. how shameful you could feel when yeah. it's first. Like, but no woman has ever really talked about it to me, actually. Yeah. Which I think that has to change a little bit because mm. if you want us to understand, you should. But my daughter, her, you know, her not being comfortable talking to me at first was kind of tough. And my how ex- did you find out? Did she tell you? No, my ex-wife told me. She's like, oh, she, wow. she wants to talk. She's not ready yet. She's embarrassed. Blah, blah, blah. Just be cool. Be whatever. And I was like, all right. Embarrassed. Mm. And then it was a, she was with me and, you know, the friend came and I went to the store and I bought everything. Like I didn't, <laughs> I, I, stuff for grandmothers probably. And I was like, whatever was on the shelf. I'm like, the wings? Thing. Little wings? Yeah. I didn't know what I was getting. Adult diapers. Yeah. I remember the lady was ringing me up looking at me like. What's going on? You got to have a shelter somewhere. No. Um. <laughs> my daughter, who's my eldest daughter, I remember the day when she got her period because I was out playing basketball and my phone rang and she said, Daddy, Daddy, I got my period. Oh. And I'm in the middle of the court crying <laughs> because, not because she got a period, because she, that she you felt safe. Like wow. the fact that, and I had never like told her she was supposed to tell me. She just, I was the first person she called. Mm. But you're, you're also, and I can just say this as one of his best friends, he is a phenomenal father. And I, and I can tell you are too, man. Mm. Like, it's just, it's such a beautiful thing that well, you were able to go mm. and but get she, that But her. she opened up to me after I, after I yeah. grabbed everything. She mm-hmm. came, she picked, she knew what it was. <laughs> I think she was just impressed that of course. I was able to do, you, I would yeah. do anything to make sure you're okay. Yeah. Whenever you're ready to talk to me yeah. about it, it's fine. And you didn't do this. You didn't be like, here's your stuff. Right. Here. No. Like, and make yes. her feel shameful, right? You was there. I was there. And I, like, when she was like, all right, I'm like, all right. I love that story. <laughs> Little Bear shows. I just like, all I can see is just him just with like a mountain of pads and tampons and like um, uh, incontinence underwear. Like just everything. Oh, that was so good. What a great father moment that was. What makes you like the father daughter, right? Like there are going to be so many differences, um, but that's what's cool about it that you get to share them with each other. We forget that when we're growing up, we're also seeing our parents grow up, you know? It's like this weird thing where when we think about our parents, it's like they're, they were never kids, right? Or they were never 25 um, when they had us or when they, you know, were uh, taking on the responsibilities that, that, that we, we weren't taking at that age. And I think that... Um, one thing is that I think a lot about with with you know Ted and and just his ability to particularly in that episode to make mistakes, right? Like he makes mistakes um, and corrects it and moves on. And I think that very often with my dad, I mean, it's funny. Like recently, I think that I would make assumptions about his mistakes, and I would assume um, a certain. Um, intention from that mistake and like recently whatever i was like i'm working on a documentary and i had uh, the first 10 minutes and i was like you know i've been working really hard on it for several years and it's very stressful and not very lucrative and it's you know this kind of passion project and i showed it to my dad and then you know the first things that come out of his mouth is like everything that's wrong with it all the things that you know i didn't really understand this and like i couldn't really hear anything and like he's really up this thing different and like and i just like start welling up and cry and i get really really upset and i was like you know what like you know 
your thank you for always pushing me to be better and throughout my life. But like what I need right now, like there, there are so many people who are going to tell me what's wrong with the things that I make in the world. Like there are people literally lining up in this comment section under this video that are going to tell me. And what I need from you is, is your support. And for me to be like, look, daddy, like I made a drawing. And, and it, even if it's so fucking ugly, like be like, that's amazing. And in that moment, it was super hard for me to say that and, and talk to him about it. And in that moment, he literally went, I didn't think that what I thought was that important to you. <laughs> I was like, what you think is the most important, like you, you have the most important opinion in it uh, than everyone in my life combined. Those mistakes are opportunities for more intimacy, for more closeness, for showing up with 10 pads and not the right thing and, you know, and the wrong size tampons and then learning which sizes and learning more about your daughter or using the wrong pronouns and correcting yourself and asking more questions about it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, obviously I'm not a parent, I'm not a dad, but mistakes are going to be part of the process and our ability to talk through them is is what will make us you know closer so expect mistakes from your dad um you're, you're gonna make mistakes too so for this next section we wanted to acknowledge you know the experiences of people who didn't necessarily grow up with um father inside the home or whose relationships with their fathers is is complicated uh, no longer you know is is um in and out <laughs> um and um yeah, just the diversity of, of, of experiences that we can have uh, with, with fatherhood. So try not to cry. Keir Gaines, how's your relationship with your daddy? I don't have one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't have one. I met, it's a crazy story. I'll save you all. I met him on Facebook when I was 27 years old. He lives in Nigeria. Found him on Facebook randomly. I don't have any relationship with my father whatsoever. I'm sorry how that may have uh, been in your life. Is there an, an uncle? Nah, nah. So you didn't have men. I don't make sense. If you're trying to make sense, I don't make sense. My wife tells me all the time, I don't make sense. Um, I can't think of a positive male influence. And I grew up in D.C. in a quadrant called Southeast. Mm -hmm. Bad, you know, drugs, guns. You you run the gambit. It's it's mm -hmm. there, and it's there. It's, it's there for you to grab, man. It looks so sexy because everybody's poor, and nobody has money, and nobody has you know, those things that you see that tell you that life is worth living or tell you yeah. that you made it. But these dudes do. And they might not be doing the right thing, but when everybody around you is doing the wrong thing, what's the right thing anymore? Mm. Wow. So, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't. So then what, what, uh, <laughs> if you didn't have that male figure talk, talking to you about things, about what it is to be a man, what it is to be a husband, um, how to just walk through the world, mm -hmm. um, you obviously filled in the gaps yourself. Mm-hmm. And you had media filling in those gaps. Mm -hmm. And you turned out to be, you know, amazing, all the work you're doing. Oh, thank you, man. But what would you say that was lacking in your life from not having that and maybe uh, and things you had to work on to be uh, the man that you are? It's hard to tell because this is the only reality that I know. So I can't tell you what it's like to have, like, a strong father present. It'll be the equivalent of someone asking me, man, like, do you miss that million dollars? <laughs> it's like, I, I, I've i never grasped that kind of money, so I don't know. I, I It's never been a presence. It's never even been a thought. I think it's a cultural piece. Sometimes you can't be what you don't see. Mm. We're coming off of the hills two generations back where, per, I, I don't, can't tell you my grandfather changed the diaper. 
Mm-hmm. I can't tell you my grandfather sat down and looked his wife in the eye and said, hey, what's going on? Mm-hmm. What's going on with you? So there's a lot of that. And just traditionally who men have been doesn't really work for the way that the culture is moving. Mm -hmm. No, the expectations are changing vastly. And it seems like in your case and in the case of many men, you don't have a role model to emulate. You're becoming your own role model. But you have to become the man that you didn't have. Especially if you want to find a male role model that kind of exudes all of these great principles that are expected of men in today's society. There's Mm -hmm. a certain sensitivity that you have to operate within now. Mm -hmm. There's certain language that you don't use because it's offensive and you know that it's offensive and you know that it's minimizing, or at least you're expected to know that it's offensive and know that it's minimizing. Mm -hmm. And men, we ain't no monolith, man. We fall all over the spectrum of understanding what happens to people who are outside the realm of our lived experience, Mm -hmm. you know? Issues hit harder when they affect you directly, mm-hmm. you know. So you got you got a kid. <laughs> I got, got another one. Coming. I got a kid and a possible. How old is the one that you have now? The oldest, Emery, is four years old. She just turned four a couple of days she, ago. She's so got a girl damn four. Cute. That's four. my boo, man. She yeah. sent me oh, a yeah. message on the way. He think, Daddy, come home. Uh-huh. And then you got one coming. I got one coming. Another girl. So you being a man wow. and father, you are, you are uh, teaching them. They are you are their first or hers right now, but the next one coming. Mm-hmm. Their first introduction to men, really how they will be treated mm-hmm. by whoever, friends. Absolutely. Um, and since you didn't have an example of that from another man, um, how you do so well at that? You done some work, research, what? Yeah, just I speak from the heart. You know, it's it's not just my male lived experience that I think will make me good in that department. It's it's me being a human and me understanding what the walk of life look, looks like for different people. So mm. for my daughter, I don't know. This is me being the dad of toddlers. I'm sure it's going to change a million times over, but I don't. I know enough just from working in education to know that a child is not a cake. All right. You put sugar and flour and eggs, and if you do a certain thing to a cake, you'll get a certain result. You could put all the love and time and attention that you can into a child, Mm. but that child is a person who's going to grow their own way in their own direction in addition to what you supply them in life sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to remain non-naive about that. Mm. Um, It's just being honest with her, having conversations like my mom had with me, impressing upon her the value of independence and being joyful and being happy and not just being wealthy and driven. You know, my wife is a Haitian immigrant. So it's when they came here, it's all about, hey, you got to do this. She's a lawyer because it's business, lawyer, doctor, business, lawyer, doctor. Yeah. Yeah. And I got interviewed one time. I was like, what's your greatest hope for your daughter? That she's happy wherever she lands. She's happy and she's safe wherever Mm -hmm. in life that she lands. Um, and that's that's what I'll do. Just love and I'm answering questions directly. Mm. Mm, and I'm apologizing when I'm wrong. Mm. Yes. And I'm modeling good love. That's how you do it, right? Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. You could tell somebody what to do a million times over, but when you model it and you show mm. them mm. not what to do right, but like how yeah. your interpretation of it, yep. I think that's different. Mm. I would say that mm-hmm. my actions today mm-hmm. are their memories tomorrow. I like that. And uh and you know, when it comes down to fatherhood i think that was one of the ways i was introduced to you mm-hmm. right you had a video go viral um where you were walking down the street i feel like you were wearing a white 
tank top or something. Nah, y'all shirtless, man. You were shirtless. That's what it was. Shirtless in South Carolina. Walking you were down the walking street. down the street, and uh, you had your girl mm-hmm. in your arms, and you were talking about the need for us men to deal with our trauma. Yeah. And and how you're not ready to become a dad if you think you're ready to become a dad is this is what I took from it, mm-hmm. and and it hit me so hard because. Um, I never had anybody tell me that. You're listening to the Mad Enough Podcast. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the Mad Enough Podcast. I just really want to give a shout out to the dads who didn't have a dad um, and who became better dads. I think that very often, um, whether it's, it's a father or really anyone of any gender, like you can continue the cycle um, of pain that you were put through or you can break it. And I think that like, yeah, curse breakers <laughs> and cycle breakers are truly the best people. Um, and so if there are people who are listening right now who are feeling all kinds of different emotions uh, because maybe they wish they had the dad that some of our you know um, guests are talking about, um, that, that, or, or that did and don't anymore. Uh, we just want to acknowledge you and, and how complicated this day is for you. You know, we have, uh, we have amazing guests who, yeah, were, you know, man enough to make it on the man enough podcast who are just completely changing the world and, and modeling a new kind of masculinity without that masculinity having been modeled uh, for them. And I, and I really want to salute uh, you know, th- those men and for those who are listening right now um, who are also doing that, thank you. What's the hardest thing about being a father? Oof. I think being in the moment you're frustrated or you're, you know, you're just like, gosh, just please go to sleep. Like go down for your nap <laughs> or please just like finish this or do that. And then like, for me, I, I he's almost a year now, our first oh, son. And, and so thank you. And it's like, it's like, he's a year and I'm like, where it's not like where's the time gone but it's like i'm realizing like i it's like that movie uh click where it's like yeah. fast forward through like the fast forward through the bath time like just mm. let's hurry up get him down and and i've i've realized it's it's hard for me to stop and you know in the moment of him crying or him just in the, in the moment of being everywhere all over the house is like this is amazing yeah like this is fantastic it's okay that he's screaming and running around and splashing water everywhere and soaking me and peeing and you know like what mm. just like it's okay and it's freaking awesome. Hey, hey Eugenio, the best. best. I became a dad when I was uh, twenty three, and, uh, and and I didn't want to be a dad. Honestly, mm-hmm. I, I was I, I freaked out when I heard that I uh, that my girlfriend was pregnant. And um, I thought that my, my life was over. My dreams were finished because I was like, I'm, gonna come, I'm not going to be able to finish studying. I was still at school. And, um, and I, I, I thought this is it. I mean, mm. all my dreams, everything's done. And then it happened. I became a dad. And uh, it was the most amazing thing mm. ever in my life. And she's been my... My teacher, my guide, my everything. She's the the best thing that has happened to me ever. And I learned a lot of things uh, through being a a dad. I thought that 
being su successful was being rich, famous, and 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 then I years later I, I learned that it's not. Mm. It's not what uh, makes you really happy. So uh, it's been a trip, especially in countries like Mexico where you need to be a macho man. I'm always telling my, my kids, it's a joke, but I'm always telling them, don't make the same mistakes. Because, and what about you, Dad? I made all these mistakes just to show you <laughs> what you shouldn't do. So, <laughs> only for that reason. I sacrificed myself. I ruined my life for you just to be an example for what not to do in life. <laughs> but when my kids were little, I tried to... I was just thinking about being successful, about, about being a provider, uh, about having a, 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 a place because I had no money back then. I, I, I don't even have a car. Um, and I was always saying, I, I need to buy a car, I need to buy an apartment, I need to buy something for my kids. And in order to, to provide that, I, I was working all the time uh, and I never gave them time. And I think that's the most important thing you can give to a kid. Mm. Time, quality time. And I, that's one of the things that I regret. I have a father who is, um, I think, one of the greatest mm. men to walk. He's incredible. And he showed me what it is to be a man. Mm. He's gentle, he's strong, he's compassionate, he's kind, he's loving, he's forgiving. I've never heard, honest to God, I've never heard my father say a bad thing about anybody in my entire life. Not, any, not a thing. It's just not allowed. His father's also uh, a caretaker for Jamie's brother who has Down syndrome. Yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, my father full-time. I mean, my, my father and my stepmother both. 40 years, uh, right? Um, you know, do loving things for my, for my brother, but my father is the home stayer. Wow. So I also saw a man who was mm -hmm. man enough to be home and not think that was for women or something and have some ego about that. So I, I was shown... Um, how to be, how to do it. Mm. But um, believing something um, and having ideals is not the same thing as application. Right? Mm. And when you have other things being thrown at you and carving your own path. Yeah. Eldra Jackson. There's an aspect that I missed growing up and, and that was uh, emotional intelligence. I didn't have emotional intelligence growing up. And, and I wanna make certain that I do my part to equip, you know, the, the, the young men and the people in my life with emotional intelligence. So they get to feel, you know, and, and when they're feeling, when they're in their emotions and something's going on, you know, I sit down with them and ask, okay, you feeling something and where's that come from? What do you want to do with that? Hmm. I'm not going to try and stop you from throwing a, a, the, the five-year-old. I don't stop him from throwing tantrums and all of that. I make certain he's in a safe place. He's not going to hurt himself. And I let him know, I'm going to be over here when you get done. You're ready to talk to me. <laughs> and then he'll come when he's ready to talk. I don't try to force it on him or make him stop. You know, shut up, stop crying. Holler at me when you get done. And, and we'll figure it out together. And when you are feeling a lot, when you are emotional, when you are mm -hmm. vulnerable, um, you've talked about showing that to your kids. Mm -hmm. They get to see that. They get to see what it looks like. In in my opinion, if they don't, if I don't model for them what that looks like, then they don't know how yeah. mm -hmm. to do it. They don't have mm -hmm. the permission to do it. My my children look to me for permission to do things. Yeah, 
So if there's something that that I've taken off the table or it doesn't exist, as far as they're concerned, it doesn't exist. So when it pops up in their world, they're ill-equipped with how to handle that, with how to deal with that. Hmm. That's when bad things happen. When we send our kids out into the world and they're ill-equipped to deal with what's out there, because just because I have not equipped them to deal with what's out there doesn't mean that those things are going to go away. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> my brother, Tony Porter, is here. Good to be with you. Good to be with oh. you. I had a fast teenage life. I had my first child when I was 19. I've allowed, particularly with my youngest son, because he's gotten the best of me in respect to my older kids. I have six kids. My two youngest have the best of me. I've, I've allowed my son to not be forced to be a man uh, until he's ready to be a man. Hmm. I was forced to be a man quickly. Most men I know we didn't have, you know, like my son was a big old goofy kid for a long time and I embraced that and allowed that mm. and I didn't force him to be fall victim to what we say men have to be. Mm. Uh, and now he's 22, 23 tomorrow actually, and he's still finding his way and I'm right by his side and that's okay. With me, you know, I was 17 and I was in the army. You know, he's 22 and find 23 tomorrow, and he's still finding his way. And I'm right alongside of him, and it's okay. And we're on this journey together. Mm. I wish I had that when I was a kid. Oh man, I'm gonna take that. Yeah. My son just started college first year this year, and I needed to hear that. I appreciate that. Richard V. Reeves. He mm. is a senior fellow in economic studies at the Brookings Institution, where he directs the Boys and Men Project. The importance of fathers. I think mm. one of the big losses from the way that this is framed in the current culture war is that there's a tendency for conservatives to say, of course, fathers matter. That's why they should be married. And they should be husbands and fathers and providers. So they're saying, be more like your dad. And there's a tendency on the left to say, I'm not sure we need fathers anymore. That's a bit heteronormative. Actually, maybe, maybe we don't need men. Maybe we can bench all the men. They're, or if they are going to have men, they have to be exactly like the women, back to where we were remote. So they're saying, be more like your sister or be more like your wife. And in the middle are all the actual men trying to figure this out and trying to be good dads. And we, we, we treat unmarried fathers in particular quite badly in the US and more generally. Uh, and so I think changes to the, to the law are huge. This idea of fatherhood being an equally important role in life, I just think that I, I really want to bet heavily on fatherhood as well. As a father myself and having been fathered, just... We're in real danger of benching too many of our dads because they fall between the two stools of current way the debate is framed on the left and the right. But the evidence is clear that dads matter, period. Fatherhood and involved fatherhood is actually how I believe we complete the gender revolution, right? That we have this amazing uh, moment in time right now for the last few years where we've really encouraged women to take more assertive roles in the workplace. You know, you can be a mom, you can uh, be nurturing and yeah. loving, but you can also be a boss at work. Mm -hmm. And I think that we haven't necessarily encouraged men to complete the gender revolution in the sense of you can be a boss at work and you can be a badass dad, right? And so I think a lot about then who fills the gap, right? 
um, when there is that absence of fatherhood and how women end up you know, having to fill that gap very often. And then I also think about, we also see this really stunning data um, that really shows how not just mass incarceration, but racism really operates in American society where black boys who are legit raised by millionaires, okay, have the same likelihood of being incarcerated as a white boy raised in, in a household income that's basically below the poverty line at $36,000, right? So when we think about fatherhood, right? When we think about mm. how some men aren't able to father their children in the way that they want to, there's a conversation around masculinity in terms of vulnerability, emotional availability, but this, it's also a conversation, it's also a policy conversation, right? It's also a conversation about mass incarceration and how um, when we imprison fathers, they can't father. And that creates a self-fulfilling prophecy for all boys in America. I think 91% of parents who are currently in jail are fathers. So I think it's important to, to, to yeah, talk about how this is also a conversation about inequality. This is also a conversation about privilege. This is also a conversation about race, right? That all these things intersect. And if we had a society where men were able to father in all the ways that they want to and mm. could, we'd be living in a fundamentally, you know, different world. Mm. All right. Liz, that was sweet. I love hearing from all of our precious. people. Yeah. We're so lucky to have so many incredible dads um, on the show. So lucky. Better than having not such good dads. <laughs> and even if you had a not such good dad, they can always get better, right? There's all, we're, we can all we, get we better. We can make better mistakes tomorrow. Exactly. Yeah. With that, um, this has been great. We will see you all next time. Liz, where can they find us if they want to hear more? If you go on manenough.com slash podcast, you will find us. You can go on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts or wherever. Or on YouTube if you want to see our faces. Um, right. So many options. If you're not watching, you're not trying. You know, you got to try harder. Because <laughs> it's pretty try easy. Harder. We're in a lot of places. All right. We'll see you next time. Um, until then, I am Jamie Heath. I'm Liz Plank. And Justin's not with us, but he sends his love. And we are Man Enough. Thank you for listening to the Man Enough podcast, produced by Wayfair Studios and presented by Procter & Gamble in partnership with Cadence 13, an Odyssey company. Hosted by Justin Baldoni, Liz Plank, and me, Jamie Heath. If you like what you heard, please follow us and tune in weekly as we undefine masculinity and learn in real time. Justin Baldoni, Jamie Heath, and Tara Maholtra Feinberg from Wayfair Studios, Mark Pritchard and Anna Saufeld from Procter & Gamble, and Chris Corcoran from Cadence 13 are our executive producers. Kayla Nicholson is our producer. Ashmi Elizabeth Dang is head of marketing. And Susie Landers O'Connell is our lead editor. Thanks for listening.